All right, if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to be in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. We would encourage you to open that one up with us. Um, God's Word is so powerful. Uh, scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, do you need faith? Open your Bible. Do you want to grow in your faith? Open your Bible. Um, so we're going to be in the book of Romans. Romans is towards the back of the Bible. That's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, towards the back of the Bible. We're going to be in Romans. Big number 14 is where we're going to be. Big number 14. Uh, a lot of opinions going around these days, isn't there? Is it just me? I'm getting some head, no head nods. Yeah, a lot of opinions going on. Uh, if you've been, if you're part of our church family for a while, you know uh, that we talk about opinions in churches often. It kind of comes up. <clears throat> Some of my favorite examples of differing opinions in churches, uh, church splits over opinions, are two churches I know about. One church from Arkansas that split. This is this is what I've been told that split over the navalite versus non-navalite controversy. You familiar with this controversy? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? If you believe they did, you're a navalite. If you believe they didn't, you're a non-navalite. And apparently, there's some church in Arkansas that fought over that and split. Isn't that a silly thing? Is that in here, whether they have belly buttons or not? No. Is that something we should split about? No. What is that? That's an opinion. A silly opinion. Probably both of those are silly opinions. Here's another one. There's a church in my hometown... My dad wouldn't tell me which one, but split a long time ago over opinions about the color of the carpet. I like green, I like red, I like blue. And it got so heated, and the church split. Is that silly or what? That is splitting over opinions. It's opinions. Here's some more that I just read about. One church had an argument over the appropriate length of the pastors. What do you think I'm going to say? Now, sermon over the pastor's beard. Can you believe something as silly as that? Just to let you know, I trimmed it up today and I'm nine millimeters. That's what was on my little guard. Nine millimeters. How silly. What a silly thing to fight about. One church had a big argument and had to have a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Should be removed. I say take it down so I don't know what time it is. We'll just preach all afternoon. Amen? I got one. Uh, here's that twenty dollars. I owe you. There you go. Or this is my favorite one, probably. An argument based on opinions on whether the sh the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. And only if the pastor said, only if we balance the deviled eggs with angel food cake for dessert. How silly. We can get into silly arguments. We can hold silly opinions over many things. But there are some less silly opinions going around right now. I think they're more serious opinions than just deviled eggs or the preacher's beard. Uh, opinions about masks versus no masks. Opinions about six feet. Lots of opinions going around. And maybe in 50 years, though, we look back on that and those seem silly. Maybe. Maybe not. But the problem for Christians is we can let 
opinions get in the way of our mission to make faithful followers of Jesus. They might seem silly later, but at the time, any opinions that we hold, in which we hold so strongly that we're willing to fight about, those opinions can have an eternal impact. An eternal impact on my obedience to the Word. What what does God's Word have to say about fighting over opinions? It can have an eternal impact because I've been in church my whole life. I've seen churches lose genuine love for church members over silly opinions. Anybody seen that in church before? And probably worst of all, fighting over opinions can have an effect on a church's presentation of the gospel to the community. I was part of a church that had a knockdown, drag out opinion fight in a business meeting. And guess what? The next morning, everyone in town knew about it. So yes, many of our opinions can be silly. Many of them seem really important at the time. But all opinions have the potential to harm a church. Because opinions, my opinions, when I take an opinion, I mix it in to my prideful, sinful heart, I can let my opinions harm my church family. The good news is, that's true now, that stuff's true now, the good news is that it was true 2,000 years ago. So it's not just us. We've been going through Romans. The Apostle Paul writes to a church that seems to be torn apart by opinions. So let's read what Paul, the Apostle Paul, has to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's see what he has to say about opinions in church. Big number 14 goes like this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and get this, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one that observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Okay. There's a lot going on in this church. And the first verse kind of sets the stage for what Paul is going to be talking about. He says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, in verse 1, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So, first thing we need to settle is, okay, if if I'm going to try to take this and apply it to my life, what are opinions? Is it an opinion that Jesus died on the cross? Is it an opinion that Jesus rose again three? Is that what we're talking about? Is an opinion color of the carpet? What, Paul, what is an opinion? I believe Paul is saying right here, I believe that, that an opinion for Paul in this verse is a belief held by a Christian that is not based on the Bible because the Bible doesn't definitively speak on it. That's an opinion. An opinion for Paul says, I don't find it in here. I don't find it in here. Because if I did find it in here, I'm going to do it. Or not do it. Or preach it. Or not preach it. Or elevate it. If I find it in here, I'm going to do it. That's not what an opinion is. If it's in here, I'm going to be willing to die on this hill. That's not an opinion. Opinions... Things that we don't find in the Bible. You might be surprised. You don't find in the Bible color of carpet. Anybody find that in there? You don't find in here style of worship. You don't find in here homeschool versus public school. You don't find in here how many services a church have. You don't find in here masks or no masks. You don't find in here school or no school. You don't find in here six feet or three feet or two feet or no feet. You don't find it in there. So these things, these opinions are negotiable. All right? You believe this? Okay, that's fine. I believe this? Okay, fine. I believe this today, tomorrow, I might believe something else. That's okay. These are non-negotiable. We hold these, another way to say it, we hold these with an open hand. Meaning I can take it, take it out, put it somewhere else if I need to, and not, not a big deal. It's fine. Those are opinions. Opinions for Christians should be contrasted with this. This is not an opinion. This is not an opinion. The things that we are willing to die for, the things that we are willing to split over as a church, are the main and plain things in this book. There are essential beliefs that we must take from this book and believe in to be a Christian. There are essential beliefs that are true, that we hold in, and and that, that Christians in Pittsburgh, Kansas in 2020 believed these essential beliefs, and Christians in Israel 2,000 years ago believed these beliefs, and Christians in Siberia today hold to these essential doctrines, and these things make us Christians. 
These are essential doctrines, not opinions. We split over these things. These are hills we are willing to die on. These are, these are doctrines and beliefs that people were willing to be burned at the stake for. That's not opinion. Are you with me? These beliefs that I'm about to list are beliefs that our brothers and sisters in China are willing to be tortured for. Are you with me? They're not going to be willing to be tortured for color of the carpet. That's the sermon. That could be the whole sermon right there. What are our brothers and sisters in China willing to be tortured for? Not carpet. Opinion. Doesn't matter. Style of worship. Doesn't matter. They're not dying for that. What are they willing to be tortured for? Here are some essential doctrines. So knowingly rejecting these, I don't believe these, makes you not a Christian. There's there's not a ton. We're going to go through a few right here. The authority and inspiration of Scripture. Authority. That this has authority on your life. If you say, no, it doesn't, you're not a Christian. If you say, this is not inspired, that God did not give us this book, you're not a Christian. That's 2,000 years of church history. This is what we believe. This is essential Christian doctrine. The Trinity, our namesake, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Essential Christian doctrine. You mess the Trinity up, everything about our salvation just falls to the floor. Okay? Necessary, essential. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Essential Christian doctrine. He was not just some smart dude. A smart dude dying on the cross does mean no good before God. He was fully God and fully man. And that way he could be the perfect sacrifice as well as the judge. He could justify us, make us perfect, and he could love the sinner the same time. He is the just and the justifier. Jesus dies on the cross for sinners. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he did what? Rose again. Now, is that just uh, is that a metaphor, a spiritual metaphor to how we can already? No, he walked out of the grave. He conquered death for us. You got to believe that to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is coming back as an essential doctrine. He didn't just leave us. He never. No, he's coming back. And salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. These things, color carpet, open hand. Salvation by grace through faith, closed hand. Color carpet, phew, I can, it doesn't matter. Put, take it out, put it in. What, however I'm feeling Monday morning, I might feel different Friday, take it in. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Closed hand. You, we, that's a hill we, we've got to die on. It's a hill we've got to die on. Those are the main things. Those are main and plain. And there are many things in here that are not the main things, that are not involved with our salvation, but they're plain that we need to hold with a closed fist. Things like adultery is sin. You've got to hold that right here. It's, it's plain in Scripture. I'm not gonna, we can't go, well, it's okay, it's, it's okay for you, but maybe not for me or vice versa. We, no, we can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. Do you see how that's different? Do you see the difference there? And it's, all, it's different because it's based on this. 
If the color of the carpet was in here and it says all carpets should be green, then we, we'd put it in here. we put it in here. And so what's, what's happening in the Roman church then? Well, the Roman church has taken opinions that should be open-handed, and they are treating one another as if they are closed-handed beliefs. How are they doing this? Paul says, verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. My barbecue-loving brothers and sisters, can you say amen to that? Yeah. Weak people eat... No, no, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. But when I open my barbecue restaurant, that will be on the wall, right? Weak people eat vegetables, right? Anyway. No, it's not... What's going on there? Well, in Rome, you had Jewish people being converted, converted to Jesus Christ. They are grabbing a hold of those essential doctrines, and they are saved by the work of Jesus. They are part of this church, and some of the baggage that they brought in from their tradition is God super cares about the things that you eat. To eat pagan meat can make you less attractive to God. Or eating pagan meat is sinful. That's what they bring in to this church. That's some of the baggage that they bring in. Now that's the Jewish tradition. Then we have the Gentiles who come in and they become Christians and they say, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, we get the Old Testament is there, but we are free in Christ. That we no longer, we're not Jews. We don't have to live under the Old Testament laws and regulations anymore. We're free to eat whatever. And you even have in these groups, you got the Jews that are even celebrating Jewish high holy days as extra special, and the Gentiles are going, I, I don't see it. We, we're in Christ. I don't, I don't have to do that. And so you have these groups that, that have these opinions, and can you, can you imagine how stressed those relationships are getting in this church? Think about having a church lunch. What do you serve? You have meat over here and you got vegetables over here. What, how, what do you serve? Chili. Hey, I like that. What do you serve? What do you do when a high holy day comes up? How do you worship? Can you imagine somebody going, hey, this is the high holy day. We've got to do church a little different than today. And they can hold these things. And this, these were opinions because we didn't have the fullness of Scripture at that point. The, these Jewish Christians can hold that opinion and, and because we didn't have the book of Acts where Peter has this vision from God of, of all the animals coming down and God telling Peter, go and eat, now all this is clean. They didn't have that. Romans was written in 55, Acts was written in 61. That's being written. That'll be clarified to this church soon. They didn't have the book of Mark, which was written around 60 AD, where Jesus tells them, it's not about what comes into your body. What you eat doesn't come into your heart. It's about what comes out of your heart that makes you sinful. And then Mark even adds this little tag, thus he declared all foods clean. They don't have that yet. And so these are opinions. They don't have Verse 17 of chapter 14, which says, For the kingdom of God, Paul says, is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
They don't have that. And so what this has done is that the church has let these opinions smash their genuine love for each other. Paul says in verse 3, he shows us what this environment was like. Let not the one who eats despise, that's a pretty sharp word, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Those who ate the meat will say, you're the meat-eating crowd. How about that? There you go, Craig. Meat-eating crowd. And you're the veggie crowd. Those who ate the meat were despising those who didn't. Bunch of snobs. Judging me for... I'm so tired of them. I'm so tired of the things that they're doing, things they're saying about me. How about this? You heard this lately? They should know better. Anybody heard that lately? Anybody heard this? They're, they're smarter than this. Anybody heard that lately? What does that really mean? Say they're, they're smarter. You should be smarter than this. You're saying, you're being dumb. They're despising those. And then those who didn't eat the meat, my veggie crowd, was looking over here in judgment. Don't they know? Don't they know better? That's disgusting. No upstanding follower of Jesus. I don't care what they say. No upstanding follower of Jesus would do that. They're getting that pagan filth all over them. Don't they understand? They might be saved, but they're bringing shame to Jesus by living this way. My parents raised me better than what they're doing. Heated, hateful, shameful, darkening of the light of the Gospel, grieving the Holy Spirit. But that was 2,000 years ago. We have evolved since then. Church is not like that now, is it? So Paul sees this happening. He's only got a certain amount of real estate to, to preach to these people through this letter. And so he, he sees that this is a big enough issue, a big enough gospel issue for the church. This is an issue that could split the church. This is an issue that affects the way they come across to the community. He says, I gotta straighten them out. I gotta tell them, how do you disagree about opinions in the church? What do you do? So he says, Welcome the one who is weak in the faith. This is amazing. Welcome the one who is weak in the faith. You know what he's doing? He's say he's coming out and he's saying, You're right, meat eaters. Those guys are weak in the faith. Isn't that amazing? You're right, you're wrong. Paul doesn't say, hey, you just get over it. He doesn't say that. He says, no, no, you've got the problem. You've got to welcome them. Doesn't matter if you're right, you welcome them. That's something. Weak in the faith. He's not saying that they don't have faith in Jesus because you can't be strong or weak with regard to your salvation. You either have faith in Jesus and you're saved, or you don't have faith in Jesus and you're lost. There's no, I've, there's no, I've got this much faith, but I can only be saved when I'm up here. That's not how it works. Paul is calling them weak in the faith in that they're not letting their essential doctrines correctly influence the way they live their lives. That's what's made them weak in the faith. Paul seems to say, yeah, you know, when you spread out the mercies of God, as Paul did through the first 11 chapters of the book, 
of the letter. It says, when you see the mercies of God, yes, you should recognize that you are no longer under those regulations in the Old Testament, that Jesus has come and fulfilled those things, that you are not righteous or you are not pure because of what you eat. You are pure because of what Jesus has done for you. Paul says, yes, that should have impacted how you eat. But he doesn't call them out. He doesn't just call them out. He calls this group out and says, you, welcome them. Welcome. What does welcome mean? Welcome, meat eaters, welcome them, and by you got to welcome them too. How do we disagree? He says, welcome them. Welcome them is, is not, doesn't grasp the whole idea. Different translations say different things. This is what Paul is saying. Embrace them. That's the idea. Embrace them. Don't you hate that church? Because I can welcome somebody. I can see you walking down the hallway and I can't stand that opinion that you put on Facebook. And I can give you a nice smile, right? How you doing? I can put my, I can put my churchy mask on and say, hi, how you doing? I can do that, but embracing you is something different. That's loving you. That's wanting to be with you. That's wanting your good. That's an intimate relationship when I embrace you. Welcome one another. Embrace these people. Not to quarrel over opinions. Embrace them. How exactly can I get at, this is my heart, right? Can I get out of that? How, how can I wiggle around and get where I, how can I do the least amount of embracing? What do you really mean, Paul, by embracing? Paul's going Paul's to tell us exactly what he means in one chapter. He's going to use the same Greek word talking about messing things up in church. He's going to say this, Therefore, embrace one another as Christ has embraced you. Wow. That person whose opinion drives you crazy, you are called not by an opinion. You are called by the Word of God to Embrace them as Jesus has embraced you. Wow. How has Jesus embraced you? Christ has embraced you in spite of your bad opinions. Christ is our brother. Amen? Christ is the head of our church. Amen? Christ has ushered you, Christian, into this exact church. He brought you here. He's embraced you into this church. He has welcomed you. He has embraced you into Trinity Baptist Church. And so in that, in that arrangement, as Christ embraced me into this church, who's the weaker brother in that scenario? You say it. It won't hurt my feelings. I am. Who's the brother who has not got it all figured out in that embrace? Me. Who's the brother with the toxic, immature opinions? Me. Who's the one with all the baggage? Me. And Christ has embraced me. Embrace others like Christ has embraced us. Let's be really clear. Can we all agree that somewhere in that laundry list of opinions that we have, one of them might be wrong? 
Can we all agree? Can we all just come to an understanding that even in all the opinions we have about the pandemic, we might be wrong about one or two? If, if you can't say you might be wrong about it, there's another discussion there that we need to have. Yes, of course. And yet, Christ has embraced you. And yet, God has brought you to this church this morning. He has embraced you to come be part of His bride in spite of your wrong opinion. Isn't that amazing? And Christ didn't say, Christian, He didn't embrace you. He said, listen, I'll embrace, stay over there for right now, but I'll embrace you once you get your opinions straight. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you got 29,000 bad opinions. Once you get that down to about 10,000, then I'll embrace you. He didn't say that, did he, Christian? Jesus embraces us regardless of our opinions. And Christians, please hear me. Jesus has embraced you in spite of your opinions. In view of Christ's embrace, therefore, embrace your brothers and sisters in spite of their opinions. Are you with me? I mean, it's, it's in there, right? I mean, Paul says, welcome them, embrace them. But this is what we do sometimes. Sometimes I can go halfway and I can embrace Joel. Come here, give me a big hug. And I embrace him all the while thinking, I'll straighten him out one of these days. Can we tend to do that sometimes? As a pastor, I know we, we have folks from time to time who come and their mission is to straighten out the church. Right? That tends to be their motivation behind the things that they do. You know what Paul says? Paul says, embrace them not to argue over opinions. We don't embrace them hoping that they're going to figure out later. We don't embrace them knowing that I'll be able to straighten them out. We embrace them. Period. Well, when? When do... I've got to embrace them not in spite of their opinions. I've got to embrace them like Christ embraced me. Well, man, that drives me crazy. How will they learn? How will they get past it? How will they know when their opinion is wrong? This is how God shows us when our opinions don't match with the essential doctrines. This is what He does. Years and years of reading and sitting under the preaching and teaching of this book. Lit by the Holy Spirit. That's what changes opinions. So, Christian, please, let me just tell you, please embrace me knowing that I'm going to hold to some of my dumb opinions for 50 years. Embrace me. May we embrace each other like that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Those opinions really are, some opinions really are pretty dumb. And I'm not dumb. And I might get some of their dumbness on me if I embrace them. I don't know. I'm not. Can't I get to some level where I don't have to embrace all the peons down there, but I'm super smart guy up here? Paul says, dare not consider yourself too high to embrace your church family. 
For God Himself has already embraced them. Are you too good? Are you meat eaters? Or are you veggie eaters? You're the veggie, veggie, veggie folks. Are you too good, veggie folks, to embrace them? God has already embraced them. How can you say that you're too good to embrace them? God Himself loves them and has given Jesus for them. This is what God has done. Meat eaters, this is what God has done for the veggie people that drive you crazy. God has not only embraced them, this is how He did it. He saw them in their desperate sinfulness as enemies of God. In His love and His mercy, totally undeserving, He sent Jesus Christ to come and embrace them. And He didn't just come and give them a hug. Jesus Christ came and while they were still sinners, Jesus Christ climbed on a cross, was nailed, bled for them so they could be embraced. And you're too good to embrace them? Do you get the picture? Is there, could there be anything more sinful than that? Could there be so, anything more sinful saying, maybe God has welcomed you, but i got a little bit higher standards than that guy? No, perish the thought. When it comes to opinions, also, we must assume the best motives of all Christians. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, in the church, you're going to have differences of opinions. And what does he go and do? He goes and he says, he says the, meat, the, the meat eaters are eating meat to the glory of God. The veggie eaters are abstaining from meat to the glory of God. They're praying to God when they eat. They're praying to God when they eat. They do these things in their hearts because of their conscience. Paul assumes the best. He doesn't say, their opinion over there, those meat eaters, they just want to abuse their freedom in Christ. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, those veggie eaters over there, deep down, they're just self-righteous and they just like feeling better. They're not, he's not doing that. What is he doing? He's assuming that both sides have consciences that desire to glorify God. Boy, if the church can grasp that right now, that will save us so much heartache, that will make the Gospel look glorious. Instead of reading someone's Facebook post and putting an angry comment on there thinking, well, you just believe that because of this. If I assume that they are believing this to glorify God, that changes how I see them. You see how Paul does that? And he's already said that they're, that, that they're wrong. But they're wrong for the glory of God. The Master has given us clear instructions in the Word. He's given us main and plain things. He's given us things of which we will die on a hill for. He has given us things that will split a church. I'm sorry, if you come to the deacons and I and you say, hey, look, I know you're, you're a grace by faith guy. I get that. But hey, I really think works get us to heaven. I think that plays a part in it. Listen, we will love you, but that is a splittable issue. Are you with me? He has given us there in here. Everything else, when it comes to opinions, 
You and I can't see each other's hearts. Only God can. And so Paul says, who are you to try to open up someone's heart and look inside? That's the job for whom? The master. Paul says, who are you to judge the master's slaves? Don't do that. Paul says, assume the best from your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the master who will judge. The slave's job is not to make sure the other slaves think that their motives are, are, are good. It's the slave's job to make sure the master knows their motives are good. Let's read it together. Verse 4. For who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Meat eaters, they're a bunch of self-righteous people. They're probably not even going to be able to stand before God. I'm going to judge their motives, and I'm going to say they're probably not even saved. Who are you to judge that? They believe this. They live this. They're doing it out of a good heart. And then Paul says something incredibly beautiful. Yeah, maybe they've got terrible, maybe they've got terrible opinions. Maybe they're a bunch of wicked sinners like the rest of us. It's not up to you who's going to stand or fall. And guess what, Paul says? Paul says, guess what? They are going to stand because Jesus is their master and Jesus makes all of his servants stand up. Not because of their right opinions or wrong opinions, but he has all of his slaves stand proudly in the presence of God. Not because of their own works, but because of Jesus' works. I love that. Doesn't matter my opinions, doesn't matter how wrong I am, Jesus will make me stand. Anyone else excited about that? Thankful for that? And finally, Paul closes us out in this portion. How should we disagree with each other? How, how, how do we love each other? How, how do we do these things? I think many of our struggles as Christians would be, uh, would be much less if we would remember this. The day of the Lord is coming. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked about, Paul's talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, for Christians, is the terrible, then glorious day when God judges everything in our lives and in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our bad opinions, He ushers us in to an eternal life of joy. Are you with me? The day of the Lord starts out gloomy for his people where we'll give account for everything we said. Scripture tells us that. We'll give account for everything that we've done. And that'll be a rough day. It'll be a rough morning. The afternoon, it's awesome. It'll be a rough morning. I think a lot of our issues as modern American Christians might be smoothed out a little if we remembered, if we always remembered the day the Lord is coming, I will give an account for this. Let's read it together. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Whew, every time Paul says stuff like that, it kind of, it's weighty, isn't it? So what's Paul's point here? He's saying, look, and man, I, I've wanted to have lots of conversations. As pastor, I want to have lots of these conversations often. Maybe I should start. Paul says, look, you've got a different opinion than you. You've got a different opinion than you. Why get all worked up about it? Don't worry. Don't worry. Everyone's going to know who's right or wrong. That's his point. Everybody, it's, it's all going to come out. Don't worry. Don't worry. If you're right, you'll be vindicated. And you have a lot more other stuff to deal with. If you're wrong, you'll deal with it. And then you'll go on to glory. When people get worked up at church and they complain about something, or I'm this, 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 or I'm right and they're wrong, and they get so upset, and it's like, hey, cool off. It's okay. It's okay. It'll all come out. It might not be tomorrow. It might be not 50 years. But some there'll be a day when all this will come out and everybody will know. And then what that does for us especially with opinions. What that idea does for us is that we understand the day of the Lord is coming and we go, you know, I talk a big game, but when I think about my opponent over there that eats meat, I don't like the thought of them having to give an account for that. I love them. This is not something to celebrate. Do you see the sobriety that brings to these discussions? And then what do we do? We say, if I, the day of the Lord is coming, and then I know I'm, a, I, I'm really, I act like I'm big and blustery guy when it comes to my opinion. Don't eat meat. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah, 100% sure. But then when I think about the day of the Lord that I will have to give an account, am I really that certain? I've been wrong about things before. Maybe I shouldn't be as blustery. Charlotte. Gotta love being a parent for preacher's kids. I'm sure that I'm right. When I start to think about the day of the Lord, am I really that sure? Do I really want to not only give an account for my opinion, but give an account for the way I treat you about that opinion? Be sober about the day of the Lord. Understand that yes, we'll give an account for our opinion, but more importantly, I will give an account for how I treat you about my opinion. So why is this so hard? Especially right now. Why is this so hard to love each other? Why is it so hard to disagree in church and have genuine love for each other? Why is that so hard right now to get they were so wrapped up in our own opinions? Well, it's hard right now in particular because we are under a constant barrage of opinions. 73% of Americans are watching TV daily to cope with the pandemic. Are you getting a lot of opinions from your television? Are you getting a lot of this from Fox News or CNN? No. If you get some of this, it's probably wrong, right? Have you seen that? You're not getting a lot of facts from here. You're getting a lot of opinions. 73% of Americans getting that. 66% of evangelical Americans say they are on Facebook every day. You're getting a lot of opinions on Facebook? 
So we are getting opinions from our television. We're getting opinions from Facebook. And only 32% of American Christians say they read their Bible daily. So what am I going to get? First of all, if I'm not in this, if I'm not sitting under the preaching and teaching, I'm not in this at home, I'm going to start thinking my opinions are pretty important. I'm going to lose sight of what's really important. I'm going to say, man, this feels really, really important. With that ratio, with that time ratio, we begin to see our opinions as vital when the truth is our, the only thing that is vital for us is the good news of Jesus. How do I love my neighbor who disagrees with me? How do I love people in church that disagree with me? How do I do these things? We read the good news. We preach the good news to our hearts. We pray the good news. We capture our opinions for Christ. We preach the gospel so often to our own hearts that we realize that opinions don't matter. It's the gospel that matters. That we read this thing, we're in this thing, we're in here and we hear. We, 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 why do we preach the gospel every single Sunday here? So that our opinions won't matter and the gospel will be everything. That is what God is looking for in our church right now. God is not looking for Trinity Baptist Church to have all the right opinions. God is looking for Trinity Baptist Church to be so in love with the gospel that they understand what our opinions really are. In the grand scheme of things, they're nothing. You and I will be brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And we won't even remember these opinions that we differed on. Won't that be a great day? A church that's so in love with the gospel will be a church that changes Pittsburgh. I'm the worship team to come up. Every, every so often there's a sermon that you get to and you're like, oh, yikes. That's going to be a tough one. And it's not tough preaching it. What's tough on these sermons is I've, I live with it Monday through Sunday and I see all the areas in my life that I need to repent. And if I know that for myself, I'm, I'm pretty confident my brothers and sisters in Jesus probably share the same thoughts. If you're like me, you've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of repentance to do. But that's okay. That's okay. Because you are loved and you're accepted not by your opinions, not even by how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're accepted in Jesus by your faith. Period. Period. Now join me in praying that although we are accepted by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit is in us and compels us to love each other well in spite of our disagreements.